Who knew a dodgeball game between Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, Cheech Marin, Jane Seymour, and a bunch of rowdy kids could be so bland? That's from Johnny Oleksinski of the New York Post. The review of The War with Grandpa. That's right. Saw it in theaters. First movie my kids have seen in seven months in a movie theater. And I'm pretty sure it's the first movie they've ever seen starring one of my favorite actors, Robert De Niro. We'll talk about The War with Grandpa and why I disagree with the critics. Yeah, take that. All these critics crapping all over it. You know what? It's a good family film. Also, The Good Lord Bird, season one review. One of my favorite actors, Ethan Hawke. He has a tremendous show right now on Showtime. It's a limited series. Ethan Hawke is bringing the heat. And I finally saw I'd never seen it. Listen, we all have oversights, right? Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Charlie Kaufman film, which he wrote, which he disavowed, said he has no love for it because he says that nothing is actually like it. Like it, nothing of what he wrote is like the actual film. So that's why he's kind of disavowed it. Uh, George Clooney, of course, directorial debut. And the reason I really wanted to watch it was the big reason is it really kind of announced Sam Rockwell as a leading man and a guy to be reckoned with. So I finally got around to watching Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Uh, once again, thank you as always for checking out Cinephile. Please go to Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, appreciate all the support that everyone is giving us. And as I check out uh, <laughs> some of the reviews here on Apple Podcasts, Oh, that's right. We were supposed to do that for Mount Rushmore. All right, we'll do that Mount Rushmore next week. People are talking about the Mount Rushmore directors because, uh, you know, somebody had thrown it out there. And so, you know, what? we'll do it next week. Somebody was mentioning here Spielberg, Zemeckis, Scorsese, Burton. That's from Jason Perolo. Thank you, Jason, for the review. I promise we will do it next time. Uh, from Doc Lou, Iowa, and I was talking about guests who's coming to dinner. Tracy was dying, so they filmed his last speech first. The metaphor of the movie is at the ice cream shop. He does not get what he wanted, but likes it nonetheless. Tracy died soon after, seeing this movie many times. When Kate is crying during his speech, those tears are real, knowing he was dying. That's amazing. I did not know. I know it was Spencer Tracy's final film appearance. I did not realize he was dying during the filming. That's amazing. Good stuff there from Doc Lou, Iowa. Uh, the bad guy, 187, always supporting us. And meh, meh. Was not a fan at first, but found I was missing it while he was gone. I think Rags brings some pretty good stuff, but what I like is how Adnan reacts to him. It's like they're old buddies. Glad to have him back. That's right. Rags is back, by the way. Rags time. He's kind of all over the place. He hasn't been sleeping a whole lot, so uh, get ready for Rags time. He's back. And Tug Coker, big news. He's a great guy. Great guest. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at Tug Coker. Now we're talking is his show. It's really funny. A couple of ex-NFL quarterbacks trying to find work now in the sports media world. Obviously something I know a little bit about. CWC is where you can find the show. Seasons one, seasons two. Seasons one was in uh, Quick Bite. Season two is a little more long form. Uh, it's absolutely tremendous, and make sure that you check it out. Uh, we're going to talk to Tug momentarily. It's coming out. First, let's do some reviews. The War with Grandpa. That's right. Peter and his grandpa used to be very close. When Grandpa Jack moves in with the family, Peter is forced to give up his most prized possession, his bedroom. Peter will stop at nothing to get his room back, scheming with friends to devise a series of pranks to drive him out. However, Grandpa doesn't give up easily, and it turns into an all-out war between the two. Listen, this is what we used to call in the business... Well, they still call it the business. A high-concept film. High-concept film normally means it's like, you know, a Spielberg film or like a Michael Bay movie. You know what I mean? It's uh, Die Hard on a plane. You know? That, that, that's the hook for a con or whatever it is. That's the true high-concept. But I'm using high-concept in a different term here. High-concept in that it's not a high-concept. It's a fairly simple concept. It's one note. That's probably the better expression for it. It's one note. But I think if you play that note successfully, it works. The note is this. Grandpa's moving in. The kid doesn't want him there. They start fighting back and forth about the fact he wants to be in his room, and Grandpa's taking over his room. So that's kind of the way this thing goes. But I think the what's honestly enjoyable about this film and why I like this movie, despite the skewering it is taking on Rotten Tomatoes, is you have familiar faces in comfortable roles, giving you what you're looking for, okay? We're back in a movie theater at AMC. I'm so pumped to be back at the mall in Paramus, New Jersey. 38 bucks for tickets on a Saturday afternoon. Me and three of my boys very fired up. We got a large popcorn, nine bucks, a couple of slushies, five bucks. I'm thrilled to pay those prices, by the way. You can charge double. I'm just so glad to be back at the movies. Masks on the whole time, unless you're eating or drinking. Totally fine. A little disappointed that no refill on the large popcorn. Normally, that's uh, a nice little caveat, but because of uh, COVID-19, being smart, ain't no refills of anything, no problem, totally get it. So you know what? I'm in a comfortable place. I'm watching uh, one of my favorite actors, Robert De Niro, a familiar face on the screen. And I see him with some familiar actors I haven't seen in a while, especially Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman playing his daughter in the movie. She's the one convincing grandpa. He's got to stay at home. He can't be by himself after her mom. His wife has passed away. Uh, Rob Riggle. Good role for Rob. Gets to play being a Robert De Niro film, playing Uma Thurman's husband. Uh, less mugging than we normally expect from Rob. Sometimes I think he overacts a little too much, but I thought he was more subdued, at least by Riggle-esque standards. Laura Morano, fantastic. She's the daughter. And then Cheech Marin. 
He's one of the buddies there that De Niro has as he's kind of, you know, meeting some old friends here, new life. And Christopher Walken, I mean, for God's sakes, Christopher Walken. That's right. It took me about eight seconds while watching the two of them to go, hey, this has got to be the first time together since The Deer Hunter, 1978. Uh, what an incredible war film. Christopher Walken won an Oscar for it. Mao! Much different story here where Christopher Walken is teaching Robert De Niro all the fun little gimmicks he has, arcades he has at his place. They're acting like little kids. And of course, there is that big dodgeball game at Sky Zone. So listen, this is not the stuff of highfalutin entertainment, okay? But this is good family entertainment. I, three of my boys were 12, 9, and 4, were totally engaged, loved the movie, especially my older two boys. Normally, I always take them to animated movies. They go, hey, this is the kind of live action movie we enjoy. It's funny. It's simple. I wouldn't say it's smart necessarily, but it's breezy. I laughed a couple of times. I think there's some amusing parts to it. And uh, it's better than it has any reason that you expect it to be. So I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs because I just enjoyed the experience of watching the film. Benjamin Lee of Guardian. The fact that the war with Grandpa finally dragged itself off from the shelf is something of a win. But now that we're able to see it, the real loser is us. The critics are going to scorch it. There's no doubt about it. But uh, I enjoyed the war with Grandpa. Joe? It's good. For it, it sounds like it's good. Uh, it is what it is, and you're going there for the experience for the whole family. They have old people. They have middle-aged people. They have young people. But uh, all those people would agree because it took the box office this weekend to gross $3.6 million, Adnan. Wait, say that again? $3.6 million, that's it? Oh. Yeah, but unseated tenant in the process is uh, the number one movie in America. Wow. I mean, listen, these movie theaters are just taking a huge hit right now. It's just awful. God, it's frustrating to see, man. Ugh. Well, that was one of the things people were saying. They go, how is this movie actually still in theaters and not like streaming? But you know what? For people like me, we enjoyed it along with the other 3.6 million. Oh, it's tough, man. I swear to God, I drove by, like I said, my local theater here in Ridgewood. I'm like, anything I can do. I want to just go in there and give the manager a thousand bucks. Seriously, keep this theater alive. I love movies. I'll sponsor it. Go ahead. We'll put a cinephile billboard out here. Whatever it takes, keep this thing going. Speaking of keeping things going, the good Lord Bird, one of my favorite actors, Ethan Hawke. God, he's brilliant. Take a listen to him on NPR, their latest podcast, which he spoke with the craft of acting. Very simply said, it's all about the work. If you put the work in, and with this character, he put a lot of work into it. John Brown, an abolitionist. The series is told from the point of view of Henry Shackelford, who's a fictional enslaved boy, part of John Brown's motley crew of abolitionist soldiers during the time of Bleeding Kansas, eventually participating in the famous 1859 raid on the Army Depot at Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Brown's raid failed to initiate the slave revolt he intended, but was the instigating event that started the American Civil War. Creator, co-creator, at least in this instance, is Ethan Hawke. He told us the story in NPR. He was working on The Magnificent Seven when Denzel Washington, the cinematographer, was reading the book about John Brown, which is based upon it. And Ethan Hawke said, what are you reading? He goes, dude, you got to play this guy. You'd be great at playing John Brown. And clearly that cinematographer knew what he was talking about because Hawke is tremendous. And he's... And he fits the role so well because on the one hand, he really has a lot of relish in delivering these lines. Spittle flying out of his mouth, wide-eyed, crazy hair, big goatee, just in this feverish state of the fact that he's just desperate. He is so stubborn. He is so fiery about the fact he's going to free black people because this is unfair the way that they're being treated and that slavery is wrong. And he's consistently quoting scripture. I mean, it's amazing how well that Ethan Hawke dives into the, the verbiage of you know, quoting Ecclesiastes and all the rest of it and applying it to modern life. And yet there's also some humor as well with the fact, particularly, he goes in these very long sermons and they're all falling asleep. They're like, God, we're starving. He just keeps quoting scripture. At the same time, he's this incredibly violent person. One of the most shocking scenes in the first episode as he decapitates the guy. He gives this incredible speech about how this person has been harming black people and ruining Negroes, and this is your penance, this is your vengeance, here we go. And yet, it's not just a big screaming display of overacting. There's also some quiet moments of introspection, especially when he's talking to that character, Henry Shackelford, who very amusingly, he thinks he's a woman, because at one point when the father says Henry Ah, he thinks he says Henrietta. So Ethan Hawke keeps thinking he's a woman. And so he takes on this young black boy. He's making him wear a dress. I mean, it's just incredibly awkward. He thinks it's Henrietta, but yes, it is Henry. And from Henry's point of view, he gets a real sense of what John Brown's about, especially some quieter moments around the cat fire, you know, and you kind of get a sense of why this guy is so impassioned about what he's doing. I only saw the first episode. I don't have Showtime. Joe and I have already had one hashtag epic fail when it came to uh, uh, free previews when it came to Apple Plus. So I don't know if I'm going to try that road again with Showtime. I think I already did the Showtime free preview, to be honest with you, because I was, whenever I reviewed that Motown documentary, which I loved a few months ago, I definitely used a Showtime free preview to watch that. So I don't even know if I can do another one. But The Good Lord Bird, at least episode one, is fantastic. I'm giving it four Maple Leafs. 
Uh, if you're an Ethan Hawke fan like me, you'll love it. If you're interested in American history, you'll love it. If you think the whole issue of race relations in America goes back to what happened centuries ago, you'll also love it. Uh, if you're a fan of John Brown, the abolitionist, you wonder why he's in study board history class, you'll love it as well. Matthew Gilbert of Boston Globe. The show's rowdy atmosphere is flexible enough to slide into intensely moving parts um, Sorry, intensely moving and disturbing moments thanks to directors such as Albert Hughes. That's right. That's the other part of this I wanted to mention. The Hughes brothers, right? Menace to Society. Albert Hughes is one of the directors. Also, Kevin Hooks and creator writers Hawk and Mark Richard, all of whom stay true to McBride's vision. And Ben Travers of IndieWire with a rollicking pilot from director Albert Hughes. The limited series is bursting with lively music, well-staged shout-outs, and a wicked sense of humor. Holding it all together is Hawk. It's a masterclass. The good Lord Bird on Showtime. Joe? So... It sounds like Ethan Hawke, like in a lot of the movies, roles he takes on is the rug that holds this room together as far as the show goes. Um, how's V Diggs in it? Has he showed up in the first episode as Frederick Douglass yet? Yeah, Frederick Douglass gets a cameo. Not a lot of screen time in the first episode, but I think he'll be good. Um, there's a couple of funny lines, actually. They talk about Frederick Douglass, which is interesting. So no, not a whole lot of him. Uh, if you like Boyhood like I did, Eller Coltrane is also in the film. You remember that name. He was, of course, the young boy featured in Richard Linklater's film. But uh, we're going to do Mount Rushmore, Ethan Hawke momentarily, just because I'm such a big fan of his and uh, want to give him some love. One more movie, though, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, before we get to our special guest, Tug Coker, plus some entertainment news to pass along. Game show television producer Chuck Barris, Sam Rockwell, at the height of his career. His creation, The Dating Game, is one of the network's top shows, and he's just been given the post of hosting his latest brainchild, The Gong Show. What the public and industry bigwigs are unaware of is that Chuck Bear's game show pioneer is also a covert assassin. He works at the CAA, claims to have killed 33 people. The greatness of George Clooney's directorial debut is you never know what's true and what isn't true. And I always love a story, a book, a piece of theater with an unreliable narrator because it's wacky and funny and strange and you never can really trust your eyes. It's got great cameos as you'd expect with Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, had no idea they were in the movie, but holding this one all together is the great Sam Rockwell. As I mentioned, this was his star turn, his coming out party, as it were, in terms of athletic talents. He's in virtually every scene of the movie. He's awfully charming. He's also sleazy. He's despicable the way that he treats Drew Barrymore, his love interest, the fact that he's not faithful to her and uh, isn't beholden to the fact that celibacy is an important thing. And yet, because it's Rockwell, and every character I think he ever plays, he imbues with a sense of humanity. And like I said, he's charming and uh, reckless, even when he realizes what he's doing is just preposterous. He's literally hosting a game show. And by the way, those scenes are ridiculous. You, you don't trust any of those scenes. They're all made up. They have to be. There's one scene that the, the host asked the woman, what's the strangest location you've made love? And she goes, I don't know, in the ass? And this is like a black and white television. They all start laughing. Oh yeah, in the ass. So Clooney clearly is having a lot of fun. That's one of the real strengths, I think, when an actor becomes a director. Does he have a visual style? And clearly here, Clooney show that he could do that. Very fluid camera. He's got... Uh, you know, dazzling sets, good production values, and especially the spy stuff. Like on the one hand, you've got Rockwell being this TV host, or at least TV pioneer, again, Clooney's father, longtime newscaster. And at the same time, he's working for the CIA and Clooney casts himself in that role. He is the guy who's giving him these assignments to go overseas, kill this Russian, he's a bad guy, more information, you don't need to know, just get it done. Um, it's a very subversive story. Tim Roby of Daily Telegraph bounces around like the smarter and wielder older brother of Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. And Sandra Hall of Sydney Morning Herald directing for the first time, Clooney turns out to be a natural when it comes to parody. Three and a half Maple Leafs for Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It came out 18 years ago. I happened to stumble upon it on HBO. I recommend it. Joe, not sure you've seen it. I saw it years ago and something I found out this morning... I thought this was a made-up story because Charlie Kaufman being the writer, I just talked it up to, all right, this guy's a TV producer by day and a CIA agent by night, only to find out this morning that it was real. I had absolutely no idea. Um, but would you compare this movie in a way to kind of like autofocus Paul Schrader uh, and Bob Crane of Hogan's Heroes and his double life that he had. How would you compare the, those two movies? Well, I love that reference, Joe. Autofocus, I think, is an incredible film. I've talked about it a lot with Rogowski. I think it's a brilliant movie from Paul Schrader because Bob Crane is this guy, again, very likable personality, charming father next door, and then he's got this unbelievably sordid sex addiction, which is kind of pulling him underground. I mean, there's one great shot where he comes out of the pool and he's kind of assessing his life in slow motion, and Schrader said that was his homage to Apocalypse Now. I think Autofocus 
this is the much better film. I think it's one of those great underseen movies. Those who have seen it love it. By the way, once referenced on Kirby Enthusiasm, when Jeff and Larry David get a Girls Gone Wild video, one of them says, this is like an autofocus moment. I was dying. I said, I don't know how many people actually get that joke, but that's an incredible <laughs> joke. It's why those guys are so good improving it. Autofocus, I thought, was it kind of went deeper and was more hard-hitting, especially when Bob Crane's Descent, uh, whereas here they kind of hint at Rockwell uh, losing his mind a little bit as Chuck Barris. But uh, it's a good point, Joe. They're kind of companion pieces in that likable TV personalities with very, very dark sides. Right. Uh, let's do some entertainment news, then we'll get to Tug Coker. This is devastating news. I could not wait to see Pixar's Soul. It's supposed to be amazing. They're putting it now on Disney+. Plus. That's right. European cinema operators saying the move has shocked and dismayed them and deprived many audiences across the continent from watching the film. The decision on Soul is doubly frustrating for operators who are counting on the release after the film was previewed at a number of key European film festivals. Soul had its world premiere at the BFI London Film Festival on Saturday. It's going to play at the Rome Film Festival later this month, so it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Plus, in time for Christmas, it's going to launch on December 25th. Originally, it was supposed to be in theaters right around late November. So that's disappointing to hear. I mentioned Charlie Kaufman. I love him. Uh, the writer of Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, although he says he has a terrible relationship with George Clooney. So Clooney never consulted him, didn't talk to him, wanted to do things in a completely different manner. But we love Kaufman because of Ant Kind. He is an Oscar-winning screenwriter, and he is working on The Memory Police, new film. The Handmaid's Tale director Reed Morano and Kaufman are teaming up for this. Morano will direct and produce. Kaufman will write the script for The Memory Police, described as an Orwellian novel about the terrors of state surveillance. Cannot wait for that because Charlie Kaufman's involved. That means I'm in. If you haven't seen it, check out I'm Thinking of Ending Things on Netflix. Tug Coker. He is here to talk about his very funny comedy series on the CW Network. Now we're talking, plus Scott Rogowski and the Mount Rushmore of Ethan Hawke movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Time to bring in our special guest here to Cinephile. Now we're talking, the kind of show that's perfect for sports nuts and newbies alike. And our guest is Tug Coker. You can follow him at Tug Coker on Twitter and Instagram. It is the story of two ex-NFL quarterbacks and their quest to find post-career fulfillment in the ever-shifting world of sports media. Of course, being a sportscaster, it's something that I found very interesting and very funny. First season, seven short-form episodes, seven to 11 minutes in length, bundled into three episodes on CW Seed. Season one was a WGA nominee, and now season two of the Silly Series is back. Tug, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, the pleasure is mine. Love, love the podcast. I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. So I, I watched the first episode of season one, and right away I'm laughing. Although, unfortunately, I should have realized, and I should make this clear to anybody with young children, because I was watching it just as I'm shoveling in some cereal. My kids are getting some homework done. There is an F-bomb used in the first few minutes, but it was very funny and used a very funny effect in which they're discussing about what's harder, you know, being a quarterback or being somebody who diffuses bombs. But I could already tell, like, I like the tone of it, and it's quick and it's witty. And I think those are the two things I want to focus on, Tug. Quick and witty, I think, in 2020, play a lot better than long and drawn out and thoughtful, which, as you know, is kind of the stuff that I like to enjoy. Oftentimes, you know, I just reviewed Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, this teen abortion drama, which wasn't to my taste, but that's the kind of indie movies that I'm going to watch. Your show is perfect, though, because it's great for today's generation. It's quick and it's witty. How key was that for you when you were putting it together that, you know what, we're going to make sure time is of the essence and these jokes are going to land and it's not going to take 22 minutes? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I listened to that episode last week, and I'm, I'm excited to see that uh, see that movie. Um, uh, it couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more different than what we're dealing with. And with now we're talking, and um, yeah, I think Tom, my, so. Tommy Dewey and I. If, you, if you've seen such shows on Hulu like Casual or The Mindy Project, you've seen my partner in crime, Tommy Dewey, and we just. It's just sort of like a window into how we how we uh, interact. It's like a, it's just a fun bantery sort of thing, and I think you know I, it's, I love the fact that you guys just reviewed uh, the, the Rushmore of buddy comedies because we we just wanted to have that sort of repartee that we see in some of the great buddy comedies. Uh, you know, there, it's like an artistic, uh, antagonistic relationship um, where they also end up needing each other, and I think that's like a, a, a set up really well, sets up really well for. Uh, you know, comedy bantering off one at each other, like a parrying of words. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, as, as far as the quickness goes, I just feel like, yeah, I just feel like comedy, you know, if you, you know, you know, you know, you know, the, the, the construct of how things are made and like everyone thinks comedy is louder, faster, funnier. Like that's like the basic recipe. <laughs> and we did not want to fall prey to that uh, on the show. <laughs> hundred percent. Talk to me about CWC, because this is the biggest thing. I, I often talk with friends in the business and they say, uh, it's never been better. It's never been worse. It's never been better because there's so many different areas that are starving for content. It's never been worse because it's so much harder to get your stuff seen because it's not like we just have three networks back in the day and Family Ties is on at this time and the Cosby Show, et cetera. So tell me about CWC. Where can people find it? How did it come to be a, a smart recipe for you in which a vehicle you wanted your show to be seen? Yeah, well, you know that's that's the that's the interesting thing about the the business, and you know this as well as I do. It's like sometimes the creators have no control over where shows go. I mean, you know, Warner Brothers is our studio, and they really make a decision on where the shows go. And what happened was we created this show back in 2016. Season one came out when Verizon was trying to get into the streaming game, and so Verizon started uh, like a platform called Go90 that they that is eerily similar to what is happening in the, uh, out there in the world today with a, with a platform called Quibi, where they wanted to do like a digital... Are you familiar with Quibi? I am. Quick Bites, Jeffrey Katzenberg. I know it's off to a bit of a rocky start, yeah. but I like the concept of it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So, so that's, that's exactly right. So Go90 basically uh, launched that as well. They tried to do like short-form stuff, and they wanted to make stuff uh, digital, mobile first, all these buzzwords that people like to use that we kind of satirized in the show. Um, and what happened was it went well. Season one got a Writers Guild uh, nomination. We were really excited. They wanted to do season two. We said, let's do it. But only if we scale up to traditional half-hour length, they said, of course. And then, and then the network shuttered. Like, it's one thing. There's, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many uh, pratfalls and obstacles to jump over in this business. You don't expect the network to implode. That's the one that you don't expect. And so when that did happen, we had to go out there and look for new partners. And, you know, as I mentioned to you off air, like our partners are LeBron James's company, Uninterrupted, and Maverick Carter's next producer on the show. So we took it out to market. And what you see is, you know, just, just different, different ways of handling these things. Some, some platforms are interested in taking acquiring the project. Some don't want to do it because they feel like they want to have uh, full hands on their project. They want it to be their baby. And so... What happened with us is we just found a nice symmetry with uh, the CW because of our relationship with Warner Brothers and the CW and uh, CW Seed. And so uh, now we're, you can find us anywhere. You have um, uh, Apple TV. It's free. It's uh, on the Roku. It's on Amazon Fire. It's on a phone app. You have to sign up. Like, the only thing is you don't have the foot traffic of being on Netflix or, or Hulu, but it is free, and, it's, and we're sitting right next to Schitt's Creek. So... Um, it's really exciting for us to be up there with some of the prestige comedies. It's just, you just got to go do, do a little bit of looking on your you know, apparatus. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Like you said, find it on your apparatus, Tug Coker at Tug Coker on Twitter and Instagram, our guest here in Cinephile. Um, like that great show, Brockmeyer, of course, I'm sure you love it. Hank Azaria is so funny. One of the keys there is not only that Hank loves baseball and, and, and translates that to the screen, but also is able to rely on some great cameos. Uh, Joe Buck, notably, is really funny on the show. Season two, as I see here, it's now eight traditional half-hour episodes. This guest list is unbelievable. Having worked nine years at ESPN, uh, I know and really like Kerry Champion. Chris Broussard's a wonderful guy. Kurt Menefee, I don't know. Uh, Sean Merriman, Plexigo Burris, Andrew Hawkins, Chris Rose. I know Menefee, obviously. I'm just saying I don't know him personally. 
Presley, obviously the host of Fox NFL yeah. Sunday. I'm actually filling in for Chris Rose today on MLB Network, his show Intentional Talk. Tell me about Rose's guest in particular, and I want to hear about Kerry and Brew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so much fun to watch these athletes and broadcasters come uh, be a little bit of fish out of water um, because they, they still want to be good. Like, you still see their competitive nature carry over into the acting side. And so, uh, you know, Kurt Menefee, I remember specifically, like, he was flying, when we shot his um, episodes, he was flying out to do, like, to, he was flying to Carolina to do, like, the Carolina Conference final game. With a, uh, you know, so they moved up his plane because it was snowing. So, you know, luckily he came off book as every athlete, every broadcaster did. I was so impressed with everyone coming to play. Um, the funny thing about Broussard is that we, we, we logged off uh, and created one day specifically for all these athletes and broadcasters to come on the show. And what you'll see with season two, so many things I feel like resonate with the, the media, the media industry, and you're in it. So, you know, as well as I do, or at least I, you know, I hope all the things that we're trying to discuss, which is the, you know, the rise and fall of the hot take, the hot take environment, and how you know these characters, my characters, you know, you got to name yourself. One rule about shows that you create, Mindy Kaling, uh, you know, so and so on and so forth. You got to name yourself. So I named myself Tug Tanner in the show, and he's a fail. He was basically a first round draft pick who didn't make it uh, in the NFL. And he's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna become the best broadcaster. But he gets, he gets in, he gets thrown into and swallowed into this hot take world the hot take culture and so what happens is we have all these broadcasters come on set to kind of battle him and broussard is a part of that and what's amazing is there was no script the entire thing was improvised people were coming on the show and being like what what is what is this and i'm like just just make fun of me and i'm gonna make fun of you and that's it and broussard crushes it so it's really fun to watch these people these, these broadcasters, these athletes come in and show such dexterity. I mean, they're just they basically live their life in front of the camera anyway. And so to watch people like Broussard, um, Terry Champion comes on, kicks off season two and basically does a recap for us. And they're, she's hilarious in it. Uh, Chris Rose is amazing. You'll, you'll see when you watch the episode, it takes place in a, basically a, a steam room uh, where we're all in robes and talking about like the hierarchy of broadcasting, why, why he's at his place why we're at workplace and it's just a lot of fun to watch um these broadcasters and people that are in your on your tvs kind of put let their hair down so to speak and uh spend some jokes rose simply texted back what i mentioned to you he said i like tug i have zero acting skills which is notable because as as, as tim kirchin told me on brockmeyer he goes you know it's interesting he goes as broadcasters there's certain skills we have that actors don't have there's certain skills actors have that we don't have because for example uh, and I'm not telling tales of the school here, Amanda Pete at one point, like they needed to like literally hold up a cue card with some of the sabermetrics that she had to spew just because she was so unfamiliar with whatever it was, right? UZR or defensive run saved or WOBA. I'm not sure what it was specifically. And he was like, oh, wow. Like as broadcasters, like I just know these stats and know this information. It's fine. He goes, having said that, in another sequence, Hank ripped off a monologue that he goes, it was like literally three minutes in length and I couldn't even imagine the way he was able to memorize it, compartmentalize it, and then do different deliveries of it. He's like, when me, you know, I look at the information I'm about to present, I memorize a couple of statistics, I present the information, etc. So it is a good point. I, th I think people often think, oh, well, you're broadcasters, you're on camera, you know how to do it. Well, no, no. Broadcasters, I look at the camera, I'm essentially playing myself, I'm just relaying information with acting. It's a different persona. I'm obviously not looking at the camera. I have to rely more on the interplay with others. So I, I do think you're right in giving Chris and Carrie and Chris a credit for their acting skills, because it's not as easy a transition as some might think. No, it's not an easy transition. And I will say uh, one thing I love about Chris Rose is that we did, we created a little blooper reel, and um, he does yell out "line." He's like, I've all, and he kind of the quick aside and says, "I've always wanted to say that." So you can kind of see, you can see the energy and the excitement of being on the set and uh, allowing everyone to come in and play. And one thing, you know, I, I I listen to your show, and I know you guys review a lot of you know uh, independent film, you know, older classics. And I think like one thing that we, where we relate to as independent film is, you know, I think this is a kind of an underdog show. The people who love in, in the Venn diagram of sports and sports comedy um, will love the show. But one thing you have to appreciate is that, you know, we shot this like an indie film. We shot this in 22 days. You know, we were shooting this on the fly. You know, we're episodes of TV, um, you know, take five to five days for comedy or more. 
you know, we're shooting something two or three days. So it's incumbent on these broadcasters and athletes to come in and be on top of their game. And they, luckily they were, because otherwise we were, we were, we were, we were going to be in real trouble. No, it's a great point with the helter-skelter of it. You know, I'm with you. I love the indie movies because of their sensibilities and their attachment to telling stories that you wouldn't necessarily in multiplexes you'd see. The danger, as you said, is you don't have nearly as much money, and normally you want to, you know, take a page a day. You're shooting three or four pages a day, and it's just breakneck pacing, and kudos to you guys for pulling it off. Now we're talking, once again, as a show we're talking about, I want to talk about names. I always think it's so important in life, got a good name. Tug Coker is a great name because it's memorable and it's different. Years ago, my buddy Greg Found at ESPN, he used to always tell me, you want to have a name that's three syllables and the first name is different. So he said, Reese Davis is a great name because it's three syllables and Reese is not a name that a lot of guys have and maybe that's helped Reese Davis's career. Uh, Tom Brokaw, Tom is a familiar name, but again, three syllables, Tom Brokaw, it's very quick. Now he said, Adnan Burke is good because it's three syllables but your first name's a little tough. People aren't sure. Is it Adam? Is it Adrian? They get a little tripped up. So Tug Coker, I think, is a perfect name because it is three syllables and no one's going to mess up Tug and no one's going to forget Tug. Is this your real name or is this a handle you've given yourself? Well, I appreciate it. It's not a handle I give myself. It's a handle my parents gave to me. Um, it's, it's, I've had it since I was one day old. <laughs> and you're a baseball man, so they named me after Tug McGraw. Tug McGraw! Yeah. So, so, and, for, and everyone says, you know, as we get, as we move along in life, and then uh, people are, are less familiar with Tug McGraw, and I always say, do you know who Tim McGraw is? And they say, of course, yes. And I say, well, that's his dad. Uh, so I was named after Tim McGraw's dad, Tug McGraw, and uh, my dad played baseball at Oklahoma. You know, I've always loved sports, and I think I, you know, told you off air, like my acting career has been kind of circled around so much of sports. You know, years ago I did uh, a Broadway show where I played. Larry Bird, and um, you know, and I told you the the, the director of that show is uh, Tommy Kale, who whose next show was Hamilton. So he basically quickly eschewed me to to the side and said, "Let me go and work on this uh, this this, <laughs> this classic that uh, will change the the history of uh, of the of the Broadway musical." But yeah, I agree with you. I think names are so important, and um, I have been very lucky to have Chuck Coker. Everyone does remember it. And uh, I, I wanted to pull that into the show. And it's funny, Three Soulbills does sound good when you say it, because I named my character Tug Tanner. And um, I just felt like that rolled off the tongue in a fun way. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you and I are the Three Soulbill team. <laughs> Before I let you go, Tug, <laughs> tell me about playing Larry Bird. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was looking at the notes here. That's yeah. incredible that you did that. The, the hick from French Lick, I'm sure you dived into research and information. And uh, obviously, we just saw LeBron win another title. But for so many, the 80s basketball, Magic Bird rivalry is iconic. How did you even approach a role like that? I was scared. I mean, I was very intimidated because I loved Larry Bird growing up. with my favorite player. I'm a Boston Celtics fan. And so, you know, I just did all, basically, like you, any other actor that you talk to on the show, like, I just dove into the work. You know, I just tried to, you know, we worked in a relationship with the NBA, and I was able to drive across country and go to French Lick. I went to Terre Haute, where Indiana State is. You know, I got to meet Larry several times. Uh, you know, both Larry and Magic came to opening night, which was amazing because um, I had to shoot baskets in the show. And so... Um, here I am, like, I, I played basketball for one year. I never played, actually, at the College of William & Mary, uh, D1 school, right? It was basically a red shirt. And uh, I always wanted to play basketball. But the irony is now I played basketball for Larry and Magic on a Broadway stage shooting baskets. And every, the funny thing about opening night was, um, is that, like, no one was watching me. Everyone was watching Magic and Larry in the audience, like, to see if they were enjoying the show. So that was like the, the one of the craziest nights to perform that I've ever experienced because it was like, you know, playing for the king. But, um, you know, that, that, I will say that, one sh that show it is part of the reason why Now We're Talking was born because um, so many of the things that we're talking about in season two of Now We're Talking, um, I feel like resonate in the media, sports media culture. And one of the reasons I talk about Magic Bird is because Magic and Larry were producers on the show and so they were able to control some of the storytelling and i felt like that um was an interesting idea we play with that in a, a season two where my character um wants to change the narrative these are all these words that i know you use and the sports media culture uses change the narrative change the culture so this tug coker tries to change the narrative by creating his own documentary which we've now seen happen with the last dance <laughs> 
and uh, Michael Jordan. You see Tom Brady. And now I think we've started a whole culture where every athlete's going to want to control their own narrative post-career by making their own, you know, biographies. So it's that, that, that's part of the fun for me with this show is kind of um, skewering what I think is happening in, in the sports media world. So. It's my whole career seems to be a part of that. Uh, you're right about control the narrative. I was about to say later today on air that uh, Clayton Kershaw, this is going to change the narrative of his career with the start. I just see breaking news. He's scratched from the start with back spasms. So again, his narrative is changing again in the critical start for the LA Dodgers. He's not even pitching. Um, I cannot wait to watch the rest of now we're talking. Once again, everybody check it out. Season one, season two, CWC. Tug Coker is his name. Go to Instagram, go to Twitter. You can follow him, T-U-G-C-O-K-E-R. Thanks for reaching out, Tug. First and foremost, thanks for reaching out and letting me know, hey, here's what I'm doing. You might be into this because I'm totally into it. And uh, it was a blast. And I appreciate talking to you. And, and congrats on the show and all the best, man. All right, same to you. Like as I said, I'm a fan of the show. Um, I really think Now We're Talking deserves four Maple Leafs. Um, <laughs> so so every, everyone go out there. You know, Check out my Instagram and my Twitter. I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And we do a lot of, show a lot of you know, aspiring filmmakers uh, and actors like how we made the show. So I think if you're into something that's interesting to you, I hope you'll, you'll check out my Instagram. I'll take a cameo for season three. I'm following you on Instagram and Twitter right now. Thanks so much, Doug. You're in. I really appreciate the time. Get ready, guys and gals. It's time for Ragtime with Scott Rogowski. Rags time is back in full effect. Our boy Scott Rogowski always does a great job giving us his favorite picks of the week. Now, Rags, I, I see you right now wearing a bathrobe. And as you just told me, it's been a long week, some sleepless nights. I feel for you. You doing okay? It's been a long, long time. Da, da, da. I'd have praised you like I should. What's that? I don't know. Fat Boy Slim, I'm, praise you. Yeah. Exactly. Which is the opening song to. Michael Winterbottom's Greed. Oh, yeah. So you're really on this kick with your boy there. Starring Steve Coogan, as mentioned last week. Isla Fisher. Island Fisher. Isla, however you want to call it. She she was in Wedding Crashers, Vince Vaughn's Love Interest. Mrs. Borat. Yes. Uh, I do have to credit. I have to credit one of your listeners, and I'll call them your listeners because look, they're your listeners, not my listeners. No, no, they're listeners to Ragstime. Go ahead. It is it is Mr. Norm. The G is silent at Norm44 on Twitter, who wrote to us Hey guys, there are a rare few that appreciate Steve Coogan. He's brilliant. Love the trip films, 24 hour party people. Maybe you could review this gem from Steve and Michael Winterbomb that came out this year. And that's exactly what I'm prepared to do today. Except, caveat, I'm prepared to review the first 58 minutes of Greed, 58 minutes of a total runtime closer to two hours, I believe. Because I just turned it on this morning, and I have not finished it. So I'm literally in the middle of it. It's starting to take the turn from ha-ha, you know, fluffy satire to ooh, there's some actual seriousness at the heart of this thing. And we're talking about real-world problems in the high street fashion industry, which, of course, you could extrapolate to most all capitalism in the Western Hemisphere and the exploitation of Asian markets, as uh, you know, as Adnan, you know all too well, yourself being exploited by the Western cabal. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay being Canadian, but yeah, South Asian forces have been definitely exploited. My generations prior, absolutely, have definitely have faced some faced some issues. Yes, love. I just throw you in there with Sri Lankan sweatshop workers, but isn't that how you feel sometimes? MLB Network, Adnan, I caught you yesterday. Hosting MLB tonight with Leiter and Floyd, Al Leiter, Cliff Floyd. And I got to say, for as much as I miss hanging out with you, hanging out with those guys, just being around the office, all the people there, I got to say, it is nice not having to come up with my take on Kenley Jansen's cutter. Well, the biggest thing, as you know, is you got to fill the time, right? It's a two-hour show. So in the past, yeah. you never do a three-hour show. And it's like, to your point, sometimes you just have like 15 seconds worth of material. It's like a comedian. I've got 30 seconds worth of jokes, and I'm good. No, no, you got to fill the time. you got to fill 10 minutes. So with a two-hour show, you got to go. Yeah. For example, if I were to be network today, I'd say, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, is she related to Michael Barrett? And if so, I'd like to ask her, how would she handle 
a left hook from AJ Pierzynski. <laughs> okay, if you want to go into politics, how much of this are you watching? You're watching these hearings, this new uh, potential Supreme Court justice here, Miss Barrett? Uh, uh, I, 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 honestly, my, my, my entire take on it would just to make jokes about AJ Pierzynski. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got a phone call there. That actually was Michael Barrett's agent. He's furious. He overheard me. <laughs> Former Expos catcher, yes. Maybe that was Lindsey Graham, actually. Maybe that was uh, asking for... <laughs> Lindsey Graham in a big race right now. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Moon, Lindsey Moonlight Graham. <laughs> yes. I love Field the Dreams references. See, 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 that's what I would be doing. And then if, if we were on change-up tonight, I would just take all of these Senate confirmation set, uh, hearing <laughs> characters and turn them into uh, baseball players, and then we'd have our own little skit and sketch. Well, that's always the key. Listen, but with your former career, HQ Trivia, you're always known for having great nicknames. So it would just be an extension. It would just be utilizing more politics and current events and such. Yeah. How about Amy COVID Barrett? Hello. Oh, jeez. AKA <laughs> Supreme Court Super Spreader. Uh, <laughs> look, I know, Simple I gotta, crash. I, yeah. I've had a rough week. I'm not sleeping much. I, I'm, I've got a lot cooking in my other career here. You know, I'm not, I'm more than just a, a uh, part-time segment on a cinephile podcast. Well, yeah. by the way, can you give us any more insight? You were talking about developing material specifically for a phone. Yeah. Can I give you any more insight? Well, should I un unpeel this onion slowly week by week? <laughs> um, let me just say this. Let me put this idea into your, to your head and to your listeners head. You know, you're, you're a television star. I wouldn't go that right? far, but thanks. You, you, you've made your bones in the TV business. Mm -hmm. We can say that. And now where do you see the TV business in the next 10, 20, 30 years? Well, I think it's a situation we have to consistently adapt. I mean, again, to make it about movies, the great Patty Shevsky with Network, you know, he forecasts the future. He forecasts the rise of cable news, all the hand-wringing, all the rhetoric right now. Sidney Lumet, are one of our favorites, expertly directed. I think that people will just use other mediums in which to consume media. So maybe they will not watch television as much, the nightly news, as you and I have discussed, but they'll watch it on their phone. They'll watch it on, you know, iPads and uh, those kinds of means. You see, for, for, for you and, and fans of movies like your listeners, I believe movies will forever be safe. They, they will never, they're never going to come for our film because you can't recreate them. I mean, look at Quibi trying to put movies on the phone. And I mean, you can watch Netflix on your phone. And you know what? God bless you. It's not meant for it. Movies are meant for the biggest screens, right? You're sacrificing the screen for convenience when you're watching stuff on your phone. And as this pandemic has proven, with Quibi launching in, in April, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, meant to be for the on-the-go consumer, the commuter, when there is no on-the-go, when there is no commuting, it's just you need to sit at home and watch in your home theater on your big screen, right? I mean, obviously, you want to watch the new Scorsese movie on the on on the big screen, not on your phone. Mm -hmm. So the movies will be safe, and 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 there's and the premium TV, your Showtime, your HBO, your Game of Thrones, all that, because those are essentially, let's be honest, those are just long movies. <laughs> split into hour-long chapters. Right. So that's where I, I believe, you know, th those are, you know, uh, 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 th th those are defensible. However, however, your TV career may not be. <laughs> and I say that because, yes, as you alluded to, you know, your career, I'm, I'm, I, let me put it this way. And, and, here, and here's the bigger point. Where will the Adnan Verks go? Where will the... Um, the 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 all these reality show stars and game show hosts, the Alex Trebek's of the future, Pat Sajak's, are they just gonna? I mean, I mean, those are a little older, but the the younger, the Chris Hardwick. There's a better example. Mm. What's Chris, okay, let's say Chris Hardwick. What's Chris Hardwick gonna do when people stop watching TV? Is he just gonna retire? Is he gonna move under a bridge somewhere? And because he's broke and unemployed? No. All the producers, all the writers, all the talent on TV will find homes elsewhere. Although they'll they'll find ways to adapt. But where is that home going to be at? It? Is it going to be on YouTube, on Twitch, on TikTok, on Instagram Live, on Facebook? Where do you think it's going to be? I, one of those mediums, right? Like it's going to be some, some – I don't think it's going to be something we've never heard of, right? Because TikTok, I don't – you well, know, it's relatively new. So it'll be some new medium or new uh, social media, I should say, that we don't even know yet. Exactly. And that's what I'm building. Oh, yes. I like it. I'll See, it that's bringing it I'll leave it at that. I love it. Leave it at that. Getting back to Steve Coogan and Michael Winterbaum so that Norm with a G – doesn't say what the hell happened to the review it went totally off the rails. Uh, I would say, Norm, you're correct, <laughs> and I would also say I'm not. Again, I'm not finished with it, but I like what I I like what I'm watching so far. You know, Steve Coogan, as I talked about, is just an, one of the unmatched, unparalleled geniuses 
of our generation. Uh, and by the way, I didn't even mention this last time. Have you seen Philomena? Yeah, I've seen actually a rare dramatic role from him and uh, Judy Dench. Excellent film. That's was nominated right. Best Picture, did very well at the Oscars. He wasn't nominated, but I think Dench was nominated. I think it was nominated for Best Picture as well. Yes, and he was a co-writer on the film, and he, he basically discovered the story and adapted it. So, I mean, Coogan can do it all as far as I can tell. Yeah, talk, I mean, though. rare dramatic role. I remember he's like a big uh, atheist, and Judy Dench is a very religious character, Catholic. I thought their conversations were very realistic, true to life. I agree that Coogan showed some, some reach there with Philomena. Right. And by the way, have you, uh, have you seen uh, Dame Judy when she was a younger woman? I haven't, actually. I always feel like I've known Dame Judy Dench from like 98 on, Shakespeare in Love on. It's kind of like Helen Mirren. I couldn't imagine them like as young debutantes. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's just say uh, she was more like Dame Judy drenched. <laughs> I can only imagine some of the videos and pictures you've seen. Of Judy uh, you can follow us. Here, here, here's, here's a more safe for work version of that. Hey, I saw Dame Judy uh, caught in a rainstorm the other night. Talk about Dame Judy drenched. <laughs> Heavy rain right now in the Tri-State area. So you know what? That'll work. That'll absolutely work. <laughs> Judy Dench in a rainstorm. What do you call her? Perfect joke back, for kids. Back to green. Back to green. So, so my point is Coogan could do the comedic and the dramatic. And this movie sort of blends the two because here he is, the loudmouth, the brash, the greedy, you know, uh, retail magnate who is exploiting workers around the world, who is dodging taxes, who is pulling Trump tactics. You know, sleight of hand. He's a magician, and it's all a, 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 a chicanery and a charade and a chimera. Isn't that the Greek word or the chimera? Chimera. I'm, I'm yeah, not I think good it's I don't, I'm not 100 aware of that. It's a good word, though. Yeah. So speaking of this movie, takes place in Greece, part of it, Mykonos and Monaco. I, I think I think Winterbottom made this movie just so we can travel to these exotic locations and, and hang out on yachts because that's what they're mostly doing. Yeah. But. Um, it, but I mean, there's some great lines. I mean, Coogan's got those, the, the way with words, man. There's a great line when he the flashes back, you know. So, so the, the main drive of the narrative is uh, David Mitchell from that Mitchell and Webb look. Do you know him? A British actor. I don't comedian, know. Comedian. Very funny as well. You know, his role is okay in this one. It kind of plays this. The jokes kind of get old. He's kind of a timid, uh, you know, dorky reporter. But that Mitchell and Webb look, to recommend another British uh, comedy, I'm sure if you've known Coogan, you know that, that show. Anyway. Uh, David Mitchell's writing this biography about him, and it's flashing back to his younger days. And there's a scene when he's in, in, in you know, school, this like fancy uh, private school in England. And, you know, his uh, headmaster says like, uh, hey, come on, uh, come on, McCready, it's your turn. And he goes, I can't, I can't. And then the headmaster goes, there is no can't. And he's like, that's not true. Uh, that, that's what we all call you. Well, at least a word that sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Good tease for next week. At Scott Rogowski, Twitter and Instagram. More on greed, and we'll continue our love fest with Steve Coogan. Get some sleep, my man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Let's turn the sauce. Bye. <laughs> Mount Rushmore. Well, the Mount Rushmore, Ethan Hawke movies, listen, I think this guy is such a versatile, talented actor. You know, he burst on the scene. You see him in Dead Poets Society, just a young man. I think he was 18 years old back in 1989. Uh, he became a symbol for Gen X with what he was able to do with Reality Bites, this great love interest with Anona Ryder and Ben Stiller. And then from there, I think a lot of people, you know, as he said on the NPR podcast, people know him for different things. He's a science fiction fans. They know him for stuff like Gattaca. He said there's definitely the Linklater fans that know him for the Before Sunrise trilogy. And he said, you know, there's the, obviously the movie, more mainstream people. They like him for Training Day, Oscar-dominated, great performance alongside Denzel. And he said, and then there's some people who really love First Reformed. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad he said the First Reformed people because that would be me. I think that's the best performance of his career, an incredible Paul Schrader film. Schrader, for the first time ever in his life, was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Hawk was cruelly ignored. Should have been nominated for Best Actor. He's never been nominated for Best Actor. He's been nominated twice for Best Supporting Actor. He's been nominated twice for Best Original Screenplay, writing those scripts uh, with Linklater. But uh, it's a shame that First Reform was not nominated. It's a brilliant, brilliant film. It's one of my favorite movies 
uh, of this decade. I also love a movie called The Phenom. Again, nobody saw this movie. I mentioned it to him. I met Ethan Hawke a few years ago. I mentioned it to him at Sunday. It's like, I mean, I thought The Phenom was terrific. He plays this abusive father. He's kind of like De Niro in this boy's life. And the kid is a star baseball pitcher. Paul Giamatti plays a psychiatrist. And he was like, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy, Ethan Hawke. He's very engaging. He's like, oh, yeah, man. He goes, I love that movie. I wish I wish more people had seen it. I'm glad you saw it. I'm glad you liked it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I thought it was terrific. If you haven't seen The Phenom, look it up. Like I said, playing an abusive father. He's excellent. First Reformed is tremendous. Those are two that I've got to get in there. Um, then it gets tricky because I want to mention Juliet Naked. It's a small role, but I did think he was compelling in the movie. It doesn't get nearly enough love, but I'm not going to go with that. Born to be Blue, since I like jazz, I thought he was tremendous playing Chet Baker. It's an incredible performance. There's one scene where he's talking about drug addiction, and he says, you know, when I'm on heroin, I can get inside every note. I can really feel it. And the look on his face, the way he's just cringing at despair, he realizes this addiction will absolutely ruin him, yet he's powerless to stop it. It's one of the best moments of screen acting I've ever seen from him. Born to be Blue is an incredible movie. And lastly, I will go with Boyhood. He was not only a best supporting actor in that movie. Again, playing a father whose heart is in the right place, but oftentimes by his actions is not being the best possible role model for his kid. That's number four for me. I think it's a really special movie and obviously took a look later. Years and years to do and I admire their endurance in doing so. Boyhood, Born to be Blue, First Reformed, and The Phenom. That's not movies you'd often think of when you see the name Ethan Hawke. You're normally thinking of Training Day and, you know, Waking Life. Who knows? Other movies like that. But, uh, that's my list, and I'm sticking to it. Joe? Okay, I'm going to back you up on Boyhood, just how they were able to pull that movie off. They filmed it over 12 years. I'm also going to go with, you know, right before he came out with Magnificent Seven, he came out with a different Western called uh, In a Valley of Violence. It yes. It's him, John Travolta. It is, I think it's great. He has a dog in it. It's um, fantastic, but I thought it got overshadowed by Magnificent Seven when that came out. So I'll put that on my list too. Oh boy, I guess I will put on Training Day. I will put on Training Day. And then the last one's tough. First off, I'll give my honorable honorable mention to Gattaca, 1997. And then I will back you up on Born to be Blue. Chet Baker's my favorite jazz artist of all time. Um, I thought that movie really captured his comeback in the late 60s when he was in his 30s. Uh, and Ethan Hawke kills them that. So my four are Born to be Blue, Training Day, Boyhood, and In a Valley of Violence. I love the shit up for In a Valley of Violence. I also really like that movie. Joey Galloway thought it was crazy. thought it was too slow, but I thought that was an underrated Western. Again, if you look at Ethan Hawke's career, it's amazing how many different genres he hits. He's a guy, again, we did not mention Dead Poets Society. A lot of people remember him in that role. Robert Sean Leonard as well, but he takes a lot of chances. And by the way, honorable mention, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, the final film from Sidney Lumet, one of my favorite directors. I love the chemistry with him and Philip Seymour Hoffman as that crime, that jewel he goes unraveled. Incredible stuff. I wish you could have squeezed it on there but you know what it's only Mount Rushmore that's why it's four movies thank you so much for checking us out as always here on Cinephile The Trial of Chicago 7 Aaron Sorkin's new film is coming out on Netflix this Friday I'll be reviewing that next week on Cinephile my thanks to Scott Rogowski as always my thanks to my great producer Joe Engelbrecht and thank you to Tug Coker as well and thank you to all of you please do tweet me Cinephile Pod or at Adnan S. Ferk, or go to Apple Podcasts you can subscribe rate and review you guys are the best I'll see you at the movies 